Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where being part of our community is like hanging out at a beach bonfire, warm connections, bright ideas, and an endless horizon of opportunities. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. Together, we supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft the business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you love. Well, speaking of bonfires on the beach, uh, earlier this summer, I get to hang out with uh, other founders that are from different places in the world, UK, Australia. We did a beach bonfire and made s'mores. And uh, the fun thing was many of them had never seen s'mores. They never heard of them. And uh, But beyond that, they had never roasted a marshmallow, which is something that's just kind of normal here. But uh, think about the, the concept. It's like, take this and I'm going to take it and stick it in the fire until it turns brown or black or something and then eat it or, you know, squish it up and I'm going to make this thing. So just a really, really fun thing. Have you ever been to an event like that or maybe a party and there's one person that everybody is just hanging on their every word and not because they're the loudest or not because they're like doing magic tricks or something, you know, showing off their dance moves. But they've got stories that just resonate and charm and enlighten. Been around people like that, and it's so much fun. And that's what your content should be doing. They should be like that person and making you and your SaaS the life of the business party. Now, someone who does this really, really well is Pat Flynn of Smart Passive Income. Dude went from being laid off to laying down solid content. That taught people how to make money online. I mean, he didn't just shout, hey, buy my stuff. He showed, he taught, he demonstrated expertise. And most importantly, he connected. And I mean, it's, it's Pat. I mean, he is so darn likable as well. You know, how can you not help but buy his stuff? But he's not just a blogger, influencer, or, you know, content guy. He's become a trusted guide in the online making money jungle out there. There's, there's a lot of people out there, but you know, Pat is one in, in a billion for sure. So what can we learn? What lessons can we take? How can we model what he's doing and do the same thing? Here's a game plan. First up, we want to show, don't sell. Now, people have got salespeople coming out there. What would you say ears? <laughs> That's kind of a show. They have sales pitches coming out their ears. But a genuine story or a useful tip, you know, that's really worth its weight in gold and also makes you stand out from the crowd. The other thing about that is AI can't generate one of your stories. It's one of your experiences. So while it may be, you know, be great for listicles or something like that, uh, it can't compete with story and connecting with people because your story is yours. AI doesn't own that. Next, wear your expertise lightly. Yeah, it's kind of like salt in uh, in a meal. So if you're cooking and you just dump a whole bunch in, uh, that's not great. So sprinkle, you know, showcase your know-how through valuable insights, but without the heavy jargon that you know puts people to sleep. We've all slept through PowerPoints and stuff before. Now, when we know something really well, you know, like your solution or industry, it's really easy to brain dump or overwhelm, or, or get way too far down in the weeds. And so sometimes less is more. And well, maybe this is one of those cases, so I'll move on. And remember that content is communication. Communication is a two-way street. So engage your audience, respond to comments, and listen to their feedback. When they feel heard, they're more likely to trust. And hey, they might just click that book a demo or free trial button. I try to respond to every single comment. So give it a test and leave me one. Let's see if I do get back to you. Conversations are so much more fun than just talking to myself. Are you ready to create content that doesn't just get likes, but also inspires loyalty? 
let's craft some stories that sell, not by pushing or barking louder than the next online seal, but by resonating, engaging, and captivating. Now, here's to mastering the art of trust-building storytelling. And I'm right there with you continuing to work on this. How are you doing on it? If you like the idea of building cool stuff together with other SaaS founders on your journey, check out today's sponsor, Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone. Supercharge revenue by leveraging time-tested SaaS growth principles, toolkits, playbooks, and frameworks designed to help you scale AR from seven to eight to nine figures. Collaborate with an elite network of SaaS visionaries as we up-level ourselves and our teams and, you know, have some fun along the way too. Confidently take the right next step that turns into a quantum leap of profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Learn more at championleadership.com. Our expert last week was best-selling author, endurance, and strongman competitor, Jason Criddle. He is the founder of Smarter Commerce and Smarter Marketing. We talked about having an athlete mindset in business, along with SaaS investing, sales, and marketing. And our founder on Tuesday was Omar Jordan, founder and CEO of Covalience, a vertical SaaS fintech company that is making the home equity lending process way simpler, faster, and more scalable for community lenders. We talked about business funding options, how to deploy capital, great insight from a multi-time founder that is just crushing it in a vertical SaaS market. My guest today is Stacy Chan, co-founder of One Billion Stories, a generative AI company which just launched their flagship product, Videofy.ai. Videofy helps brands and publishers scale video and social media creation. Very, very cool. Before Startup Live, Stacy led product partnerships on several of Google's giant initiatives, like billion user consumer products, including Google News, Search, Web, and Assistant. Prior to Google, she was an award-winning journalist in Silicon Valley. Welcome someone who has made content creation at scale possible for the rest of us, Stacy Chan. Hey, Stacy, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thanks so much, Jeff. Happy to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get involved with media and technology? Ooh, I'm going to try to succinctly respond to that, <laughs> Jeff. Um, I've had a pretty long career zigging and zagging throughout a few different industries. Um, like every good kid in LA, I actually started out acting. Um, so that was my first foray into the artsy creative world. Then I became a journalist. I loved actually going behind the camera. I loved telling stories of people, places, businesses, and being able to communicate that story to an audience was probably my greatest passion. Um, that was very much the content side. And then I discovered something amazing called technology that would help amplify yes. these stories. So truly with technology, I said, this is actually how I create the largest impact. It is through distribution. and. Long story short, an old colleague of mine introduced me to the hiring manager at Google News. And so joined Google, was there for nearly nine years working across Google's consumer products from Google Search to Google News, the Google Assistant, uh, across three different continents. So I lived in Asia, lived in Europe. And finally, I said, all right, what do you do with all that experience? Huh, why not start <laughs> your own SaaS company? Build of a media technology company to help media organizations, brands, publishers, and everyone in between integrate technology into their company to grow their business. That is very, very cool. So how did One Billion Stories come about? So we, my co-founder and I, my illustrious CEO, uh, was actually my boss at Google. And he was always the visionary. Um, you couldn't contain the hundreds of ideas he had at any given moment running throughout his head. He, in a leap of faith, um, decided to leap. He was similarly at the almost nine-year mark that I was. And he started tinkering around and then came up with this brilliant idea of combining both of our passions of media plus technology into a company, One Billion Stories, or 1B Stories for short, with the idea that we could help 
anyone around the world create billions of stories using technology. Because that truly is the only way to scale. Um, as wonderful as humans are, I am a human storyteller myself, really the way to scale impact and scale content production is through technology. So yeah. that was the genesis of One Billion Stories. That is really cool. So how did uh, Videofy fit into that? Videofy.ai, and how do you help brands and publishers scale that content? I think it's a great, great platform to do that. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, we, we think so too. So we said, we've got the vision, One Billion Stories, but it's pretty lofty and grand. Let's bring us sure. back down to earth. What kind of products do we actually want to build? And we said the easiest lift we believe is really in conversion of content. So we can take text, convert it to video. We can take just a prompt, convert it to different sorts of outputs. So that is where we launched Videofy, our flagship product. And it's just so much fun. As a former reporter myself, I can take old articles that I had written, copy paste the URL, drop it into Videofy, and then in a few minutes, I've got the short form video version ready to go that I can share across social media, embed it on my website. It gets a new facelift, if you will. We're elevating what is traditionally perhaps static content in text form and really making it accessible in a very dynamic format that starts to reach new audiences. We know that Gen Z is much more comfortable short form video as are other generations. Yeah. I guess I am the millennial generation. I also <laughs> consume a lot of my content in short form video these days, as well as reading. But we want to make any sort of business, any content creator, amplify their reach by using multiple formats to reach their audience. And I think that's brilliant. A lot of times, especially as content creators, you think we've got to create something new all the time. And we mm -hmm. have this giant content library. Why not take something from the library, whether it's written or in a different format, and repurpose that. Because there are audiences out there that still need that. And just because it's in a format that maybe is not you know, their number one choice, they're missing out. And so you can Absolutely. take that content and put it into something else and then you know, republish that in a different way and hit an entirely new audience. Exactly right, Jeff. It's about maximizing productivity too. I think back to my journalism days when we would be for lack of a better word, pumping out lots of content every day because news never stops. But right. I just remember my team of reporters felt like they were constantly running in that hamster wheel when, in fact, they had already created hundreds of incredible articles, lots of photos they had already taken, and they weren't leveraging or tapping back into those archives or libraries of content that they had. So you can dig back into your archives, look at the top-performing article, from maybe the month of July, why not convert that written piece into a video that you can then share right. on social media? Or do like a summary video of the uh, best articles of July, um, those news you can use pieces, um, blog posts where it's more about lifestyle content that's evergreen, convert that and it's the gift that keeps on giving. We do not have to reinvent the wheel every single time, as you mentioned. That's incredibly freeing as well. And just to yes. think about being able to do that and, and hit new audiences at the same time. So you can in front of people that never would have seen you otherwise. Exactly. It's simultaneously relieving. You realize you don't have to come up with something new and innovative every single day. That was a challenge. I mean, not that the news cycle was ever slow, but to come up with a new angle or try something different. So it's, it's right. not only a relief, but empowering to leverage what you've already got and then it becomes a matter of, okay, how can I strategically leverage content that I've already created and get the maximum mileage out of it? That's great. So there are other video platforms on the market. How does Videofy differentiate from the, the things that are out there? And, and how do you see generative AI uh, continue to, to build and boost that? Jeff, I love that question. I welcome it because I want to be very candid about all the other incredible tools that are out there. Um, and I intentionally use the word tool because a lot of um, these tools are ones that I used to use when I was a reporter. I would use Adobe Premiere, Final Cut Pro, but they are very designed for individual creators. And right. it is to create these beautiful high production videos. But it would take me four hours. Um, it was a labor of love. With, You're faster uh, than I am. 
<laughs> Maybe I'm, I'm giving it, myself it, a little too much credit. Eight, Maybe it would take me 10, eight hours. 12. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Forever. I wish. I, it's not quick, looking, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'm looking at the past with uh, rose-colored glasses. It probably took me eight hours. It's all just. But with Videofy, it's definitely a platform. It's, it's leveraging the best of AI to be a conversion engine. So the input is either content you already have or inspiration, like a prompt, just a, a quick string of text. Um, best summer holiday destinations 2023. And with a little bit of input and very little editing or tweaking, you can get a video in under five minutes. That wow. is, I have not seen many tools out there in the ecosystem that can create videos that quickly with such precision that aligns to your brand. We are very differentiated in that for now, we're not a B2C platform. Uh, we are a SaaS enterprise solution. So brands can incorporate their brand guidelines. We continue to train and fine-tune our models to make sure we're nailing the voice of the brand or the publisher. So there is very little editing in the end process. So really the longest part takes, uh, in the time it takes to go refill your cup of coffee, the video should be done. That V1 or rough draft is pretty darn close to being the final draft that is ready to go downloadable as an mp4 video file and is ready to get shared with the world across social media that is pretty amazing and i love that you're able to to bring the brand guidelines and style guide as well so they're they're really building their entire package so what they're getting is customized to that business not something that's general or generic that anybody can post Absolutely. And I think for, for your audience and your listeners, we talk a lot about SaaS. That is the, the model that, from a business perspective, we believe makes the most sense. Um, because content does need to be consistently created. And yeah. so if you're looking for a one-off video that explains what your company does, I highly encourage you to go hire an agency. Uh, I mean, they do cost a lot more, but if you just need that one-off video, um, this is not what, a, what Videofy as a SaaS platform is designed to be. Um, and the, the value proposition is you can build out that YouTube channel. You can finally start creating the Instagram channel that has consistent daily high quality videos that are on brand that are actually relevant to your audiences, but take you probably 5% of the time that it normally would have taken you. Love that. Yeah. Speed is, is so important. That's why so many people don't, don't do it. And you can have big, big brands and, you know, they'll have multiple people uh, that do that just to, to have that content on a consistent basis. So I love that you've really taken that and, and brought it and put it in the, the hands of, of, you know, companies that, uh, that don't have to have a staff of three or five or 10 people working on that. Exactly. You just need a staff of one who can copy paste <laughs> content. And I think that's where really AI good. Really- Everyone can do it. I promise. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, and it's where I love AI is it, it provides a really frictionless onboarding. There really is no learning curve. Um, because I think when you, when anyone gets into the content game, there is that hesitation, that reticence. I remember when all of us posted our first tweet, wrote our first blog and that, that initial fear of, are people going to like this? Are people going to see it? What kind of likes, impressions, engagement metrics am I going to get? That all is really a much lower barrier to entry now that AI can help you generate volumes of videos. So the little cost, both time and financially, is so low that there really is no barrier, no excuse to not try some of these tools that are out there. That's great. So what kind of challenges did you have in in building and bringing this, this solution to life? Or was it easy? <laughs> I would, hindsight's 2020, Jeff. I would say it was, no, no, even in hindsight, it was not easy. It, still wasn't easy, but it never the, is. The beauty of the startup journey. No, and, and nor should it ever be. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy, um, is what my mother always likes to say. Um, but I would say, I, well, I'll bucket our challenges into building the platform um, because there are a million directions you can take when building a generative AI platform. You can look at the competitors. You can say, ah, well, I really love these features. 
that so-and-so has launched. Oh, look at that UI. That is great. That's really intuitive. So it's identifying the UI UX for our product based on what we want the outcomes to be. And so the outcomes are the key differentiators for our clients, which tend to be enterprise clients, because they're going to be looking at volume and speed, which again, are pretty much the opposite of like an individual creator tool. Right. So we needed to build something that could ingest very easily and quickly and quickly turn around the video output, because this is something that we want everyone to be able to create daily. It passes the toothbrush test. Are they using it every single day? Or, or, or we, what we've seen with our customers is they'll front load. So they'll, on Monday, spend an hour creating the seven videos that they want to post for the rest of the week. And it's incredibly quick. So when we were looking at what kind of product we wanted to build, it needed to optimize for our customers' end goals. Then the challenge with generative AI is the end product itself, which is the content. And why I love content and why it's also so challenging is there is no right answer for content. 10 people can look at the same video that we've created in Videofy. You'll get 10 different opinions on whether um, the storyboard was right. Was that the right image that we selected? So we're constantly working on what that video output should look like. So it is really a mix of what we will do as our first pass, our first draft using the AI, but also fine-tuning and continually improving the output based on that particular account's usage. And they're fun, healthy debates where all of us will never quite align or agree, but that's the media space, and, and, and I absolutely love it. Oh, that, that's really good. If everybody agrees, then you know, some people are not necessary. So it's right. having that, that, uh, the different opinion, different perspective is really, really healthy. And, and it's art. I mean, so some people are going to like one thing and, and some people are going to like another. And that's where we're so fortunate to have such a diverse clientele. Um, we're working with small local newsrooms in the Midwest to, um, large Indonesian telcos. That is the extent of uh, the range of our clients and they're all using Videofy in very different ways. And we constantly learn most about our product just by talking to our customers, seeing how they're using the tool. They're coming up with their own ideas, use cases. They'll try different things. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And that is how we slot in new features in our product roadmap. So have you found uh, your clients using the tool in, in ways that, that you didn't necessarily expect? Absolutely. Um, a lot of them, for example, in, in the volume, they said, well, converting one video at a time doesn't really make sense for us if we want to be creating a hundred videos a day. We're a large news organization. So we're looking at different ingestion methods or calling it bulk to video where you can drop in an RSS feed or even just call APIs. Um, oh, wow. That's great. So we thought, you know, if you just need to convert one, one video at a time, a, a URL functionality would work. So we're constantly hearing feedback from our customers. Um, I try to do weekly calls, especially at this early stage. I, I can afford it. I absolutely should be prioritizing that. And just watching them use the platform is the greatest learning, the best way to inform our sprints and what we should be focusing on next. That's really, really smart. I mean, I tell, tell founders that all the time, especially in the early days, you know, do things that don't scale. They're always so concerned about scalability and, and the competitors won't. And so when you do that, when you have those conversations, when you take that time, the, the things that you'll learn are absolutely invaluable in making that the product better and better and better. And really, you, know, you wouldn't have known about those use cases. And that just there's more volume, there's more revenue there. And now you can take that out to another enterprise. So it's really, really smart to do that. Great piece of advice, Jeff. And it, it, it took a while for us to shift that mindset because coming from Google, where we were designing for billions of users to then go down to this one, for now, one narrow use case. Um, I chatted with one of our clients. She's, she's a first-time book author and she's using Videofy to create videos for Book Talk, the, the subset on TikTok where she plans to promote her book. Oh, that's and great. She is just as important as any of our other clients because this is going to be a, a potential huge use case because 
where I look at this is it's such a great investment to understand how she uses our platform. And then if I am thinking long-term, there are millions of authors in the world or there is probably hundreds of thousands of publishing houses that we could then take our product to and say, hey, this is how each one of your authors should be using Videofy to promote your book, um, which is ultimately every, the, the authors and the publishing house's bottom line. And that's fantastic because a lot of times the authors and especially publishers are, are not, not as technical and they're not going to put the time in until they know that the book is going to do really, really well. And by then, I mean, the, the marketing cycle is, is already passed. So to be able to do that very quickly on the front end, you know, gets ahead of that and, and makes it into, you know, what it might not have been had they not done that. So I think that's a Absolutely. great use case. And with content, it used to be quite expensive uh, to create. We joked about how it would take us eight hours to create a video. Yeah. But now it takes eight seconds to think of which article you might want to convert, drop things in. And so the cost of A-B testing is drastically reduced. You can A, B, C, D, E test different pieces of content, see what performs well, and then work off of that. It really is about experimentation. And you can actually bring a little bit of science into this now. Content is this beautiful blend of art, deciding what to create, editing, tweaking, but also can be very meticulously science. Look at analytics, what is performing well, and then shift, pivot very rapidly into the content that is working, double down on it, and keep creating that kind of content. That's fantastic. Does Videofy have analytics built into it? Not yet, because what we would need to do is hook it up to the platforms that our end clients are using. So we're not gotcha. sure if it's posting on LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. But many of these platforms do have public APIs. So we would be able to sync and look at those metrics in aggregate on how they're doing. So the current way is you would actually get those metrics from the platforms you're using. Yes. You know, wherever it is yeah. you're publishing content. That makes sense because that's where we get a lot of our ad analytics and those kinds of things anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're very, very big on analytics. That's where um, we have analytics for Videofy itself in terms of the tool. But it really is the performance that we kind of scratch our heads and go, okay, that's sort of the, the million-dollar question and how we show value. Um, we work very closely. We look at each of our clients' social media channels as well. Um, I don't purport to be an expert, but always happy to do those brainstorms and discussions with our clients because I'm constantly learning about what content is trending on TikTok or what kind of videos perform best as Instagram reels. That's great. Well, generative AI has certainly changed the, the landscape across the, really kind of across the spectrum for all creators. And so what do you think the, the future is for, you know, content creation and uh, how does it impact traditional video? That is the fun, philosophical, ethical question. I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff. So a so few different thoughts around that. I do think generative AI has a wonderful place to still provide that personal touch without feeling inauthentic. And what I mean by that is for brands. For example, um, what our technology can do inside Videofy is not just generate videos, but also avatars and talking heads. So you can have your brand spokesperson, a generated avatar, actually narrating the video or the one starring in it. And it can also be personalized. Now, you could say, is that at the most extreme? Is that considered a deep fake? Are we trying to fool customers with this person? I think as long as there is a very transparent experimentation, labeling, disclaimer, whatever you want to call it, I do defer to different brands and newsrooms to come up with that policy, then it's fun to experiment, especially if it's a, I should say, low stakes experiment. I'm working with one brand. We're already thinking about their Valentine's Day 2024 campaign. And we're creating people, stories via generative AI. And we believe from an ethics perspective, because it's about relationship stories, love stories, again, very low stakes, that kind of generated AI content makes sense when you want to be able to scale it across different customers. Now, if we're talking about simulations where we're trying to mimic people, um, especially with the political season coming up, also 2024, 
I do think there are questions around there that we all need to think deeply on. And it is very important to be cautious when we're generating these things. Who are we mimicking? Who are we creating? For Videofy, how we ensure this, because we are enterprise accounts, every enterprise account can upload a custom avatar of the CEO of the brand or the political reporter. But it is a very intentional choice of who we're going to be creating as the avatars. Um, when we talk about generated AI within the video, we have different toggles and controls for your level of tolerance of using AI. Um, if you say, I don't want any generative AI at all, how we create these videos in terms of the visuals are leveraging the images, the videos that the brand or the publisher already has, or filling in the gaps with our stock media, which is content that we've purchased the rights to, we have the license to, so it's free to use for our customers. So a lot of questions around generative AI in the sure. like avatar space, but also in the creation of content. But that's why never a dull day in this space. <laughs> Without a doubt. I think that that's really good that you're already thinking about, you know, what should the guardrails be and, and how do we use that? So it, really smart to be able to do that and have, have somebody from the, the company that you can actually upload and create an avatar. The great thing about that is, is over time, as things change, I saw this with training videos. The, as training videos change and they change all the time, instead of having to go back into the studio and reshoot that or it being three years outdated, they can just update the text, regenerate the video, and, and there it is. Absolutely. And, and Jeff, I'm glad you brought up that distinction. Um, it's, it's also very important to think about who your audience is for this type of content. So you talked about training videos. We work with clients who do generate these videos but their audience is really their own internal employees. Right. I would say it's much lower stakes or much lower risk to be creating content that is generative AI with your own, your own teammates, your own colleagues. The moment you are a media publisher and you're putting this out for consumption, uh, for informational purposes to people who are not within your organization, there's a whole nother layer of concerns. And I'm always happy to discuss and debate that, but it really is thinking about who is going to be seeing this content. What are, and, and what are the repercussions if someone doesn't quite understand the, the process by which you created this, um, what the intended content is? So all of those factors, important things to think about when you're creating and generating AI videos. Sure. Yeah, audience is really, really important because that, that does drive a, a lot of you know, the, the choices mm -hmm. behind you know, what you're doing with generative AI and, and what the expectations are. Exactly. Exactly. And you're right. It's expectations. That's what I've heard. Um, some brands already have their policies around AI um, and some are still beginning to explore. I think it's at the end of the day about trust. You don't want to ever lose that trust with your customer. Um, the moment they realize, wait, that was actually an AI generated avatar. Is it a haha that was really cool or hmm? I don't trust this brand anymore. So really asking yourselves those questions. And I think we're in this great stage where everyone is dipping their toe in. Now is the time more than ever to explore and, ex and experiment, but be very transparent about what exactly you're doing. I think that's really important. We've done some experiments with, with AI and, and, you know, personalized emails and things like that. Sometimes it goes really, really well. And some people are really turned off by it because, oh, that's, that's not real. That's, that's fake. And so as a brand, you don't want to come across as fake, but you do want to come across as very personal. So, you know, where are those lines? And I think now's a really interesting time to experiment and figure out what works with your audience. Yeah. And identifying where in the process the human in the loop should be. Yes. And, and one key piece of VideoFi, um, which we still debate every single day, is how <laughs> much we should be investing in our editing tool. So when the video is generated, I think the extreme end can argue, I'm done. That video is 100% perfect. AI got me all the way there. That is the final draft. I probably have a slightly different take, a maybe slightly more conservative editorial approach to most things. And I have been the champion of investing in our editing tool. So there is the review process. You can make any edits, very small tweaks if necessary. Um, but there does need to be that human in the loop. 
to say, well, there was a human who actually pressed download and that video was looked at. It was reviewed before it gets to see the light of day and start to get distributed, distributed across all the platforms. Yeah, that's really smart. AI is, is not, it's certainly not yet, maybe never, but uh, is not ready to just be turned loose and, and, and as the creator. But having that that person that reviews, it, it certainly amplifies what we do as, as humans, but uh, not Absolutely. ready to, to just let it do its thing. And, and oh, yeah, it's got my brand perfectly. We're going to send it out. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I, I, I understand a lot of the concerns from cynics of AI, but I also think we've got to trust ourselves, our judgment, our colleagues' judgment. Um, you and I had chatted about this. It People get so concerned that AI is going to run wild, take over our social media channels. That's like saying you're allowing your summer intern to take control of all your social media channels and run <laughs> wild without any sort of oversight. There are still very healthy checks and balances, robust debates on People checking in, is this actually what we want to post? Does this reflect our brand? There's still very, very complex ongoing discussions that I think every company should be having around AI. So I understand the concern, but sometimes in some circles, I believe the the fear can be overblown because it really is about experimentation and just making sure that the platforms that you're using have the guardrails uh, that a platform like Videofy has. And that makes a lot of sense. I love the analogy of the summer intern because you, you would never just you know, let them run wild and take over. Exactly. Uh, but they're certainly very, very helpful and, and can contribute significantly in that process. So I think it's a really good way to look at it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a tool that, that moves you forward in a, in a big way very quickly, but it's not something that, you know, you just let run wild. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think AI is really just the next frontier of tools that we're going to start using at our disposal. I look at video creators, including myself. I, I don't even know what I would have used before Final Cut Pro. That we were what manually editing on <laughs> on film. Yeah, I, I, I don't film even know. and razor so, blade and tape. Is that- exactly. <laughs> Piecing together the actual brittle film. You had to worry about actually aligning the film strips. This is this is another way to look at tools to help with content creation, to help with productivity, and to build within your product to be even more helpful as, as SaaS, SaaS companies. Um, so there's so many ways that AI can either incrementally or perhaps exponentially, if you have the risk tolerance to explore, to, to really accelerate your workflow and grow your company, whether that's lead generation, marketing, um, financial overhead reduction costs. So much software out there that is powered by AI. It would be really, uh, I think, tragic if, if companies weren't at least exploring so many of these tools that are out there. Yeah, I think if they don't, they'll be left behind. Because it is. Yeah. It's, it's like going yeah. from literally, you know, razor blade and, and tape and, you know, splicing film together to going to something like Final Cut Pro. I mean, it was completely revolutionary. Or the things Absolutely. we do with video today, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. And now yep. <laughs> it's right there at our fingertips. Yeah, it's all in this 15-inch laptop. Everything you can do, everything you ever wanted to do with multiple products and tools, literally physical tools, Amazing. are now accessible on your laptop. Yeah. So in building that, the company, what are the greatest learnings that you've had over the, the past few years? Best lessons. <sighs> Best lessons. I would say starting out, because we're still very early stage. We're about two years old now. Um, so we're a toddler. We're not an infant anymore. We're slowly crawling. And we're a very ambitious company. And while that obviously is a good thing, you want very passionate, ambitious founders, we get very excited about wanting to build everything. We want to be the every, everything solution for every one of our clients. And I hate saying no, but to build the mo- ro- most robust MVP that actually will solve a pain point and be a solution for that pain point to our clients, we have to be razor focused. So while sometimes 
features are really fancy. We want to do this because ooh, that's what our competitor is doing. Or it is something that one of our clients did request. We can't say yes to everything. And so we need to be brutally disciplined in our prioritization of what our product actually does currently. And then what is our realistic product roadmap for the rest of the year? The, because 20, the end of 2023 will be here before we know it. And so we want to also set expectations with our customers of what they can expect, what we can actually deliver. Um, because in this early stage, we are at the dozens of customers and every single one is so valuable and they're providing incredible feedback. But at the same time, we can't deliver every single feature that they want. So we have to be very mindful of our resourcing that we're not sending our engineers into a tizzy, trying to build everything under the sun. So what I would say to ourselves just even a year ago is be ruthless about what we can actually build and prioritize. And it's okay to say no sometimes. That's really, really good. And so hard to do is we, we chase those shiny objects. Somebody comes up with an idea and it may be a great idea, but it may not be a right now idea. And so we I have to that. And Jeff, on. you know, exactly of all people, you know, after having <laughs> so many successful businesses, what was, I'm curious, uh, flipping the question back to you, what was a, a product or a feature that you had to say, no, not right now? Oh, we've had to do that hundreds of times. And some of them were, were, were such great ideas, but it, it wasn't the right next step for what we were looking for. And, and we've had clients that, I mean, they, they really, really wanted this. And, and occasionally it's, you know, okay, we'll accelerate it on the roadmap. It, it wasn't going to be until next year. But uh, we'll do that today because it was it was going to be on the roadmap. Um, but there have been uh, so many things that we've just had to say, you know, yes, that's a great idea, and we're going to put it in the backlog, and and we'll get to it down the road because nobody else is asking for it. You really want it, and but nobody else is right now. So mm. there's some some really hard conversations to have, especially if they're big or influential. Yeah, you just you know, really sticking to that roadmap, that discipline. So hard to do, especially when it's a great idea. Yes. And we just want to make our customers happy. I'm obsessed with world-class customer service, but it doesn't mean saying yes to them all the time. It's, it's really listening to their feedback and assessing, as you mentioned, are they the only ones requesting this? Or is this actually something we continually hear from everyone using our product? And, ooh, okay, this probably should be a P0 in terms of what we prioritize in, in feature building for the next sprint. Yeah. That's been helpful for us and just being able to prioritize and let, let our customers vote on features. Hmm. I think that's a, a really important thing because, you know, an idea gets put out there. Nobody else is asking for it until they see it. And they're like, Oh, I want that. I love that. We, um, we use um, some software to actually vote internally about which features to build, but perhaps we actually expose that to our clients and let them, they know how to reach me, obviously. They, they can text me um, any time of the day, email me. But it would be cool to expose that in sort of an upvote, downvote way. So they can also kind yeah. of see who else might be interested in this feature as well. Wisdom of the crowd, I guess. Yes, yes. And sometimes they come up with some really, really good ideas that I wouldn't have thought of. And so then hmm. it's like, okay, how could that fit into the roadmap? And so is it, is it a now thing? So those are some fun discussions as well. And where do you think, I think Steve Jobs famously said, you know, if you ask people what they wanted, they would just ask for a faster horse versus the car. When do you sometimes stop listening to your customers and say, this is the vision, this is what we should be building because I know this is actually going to make the biggest difference in your business, not a faster horse. I would say almost never, unless you're Apple. <laughs> And that I, I don't pretend to be a Steve Jobs, so I'm, I'm more humble than that. But you know, I've, I've heard that before. You know, what if what if I know better than uh, the clients? Well, you know, that's that's probably a, a one in a million, one in ten million kind of thing, and and maybe somebody does that and, and hits a home run. But for the rest of us, listening is going to be one of the the best sources, and it's not just taking at face value what they're asking for either. So they may say, you know, I want you to build this. And, but when you dig into it, it's, it's not, they want you to build this thing. They want to accomplish a task. And so it may already be in there. There may be a way to do it. Um, you may 
hear that several different ways, but when you really distill it down, what is it that they're trying to accomplish? And what's the best way that we can get them there that is universal to the entire user base, not that specific use case that they came up with? So I think really kind of getting a little bit deeper into what that request really is, is super powerful. I love that, Jeff. I think um, our our CPO, our, our head of product does this incredibly well because I get super excited having these lively debates and discussions with, with our clients and he'll rewatch recordings uh, very, very consistently. And then always asking, Stacey, they asked for this feature, but what actually is the source of their, of their challenge, their problem? What is actually the pain point? So I might say, Hey, build this feature, build a, (laughs) um, an ad slide or, you know, delete slide functionality. And it was, well, is it really that they just want to add a slide or was that initial video output just not relevant enough. They, they really want to lengthen or shorten the video. It's not about just adding content willy nilly. It was like the time duration wasn't appropriate. So let's think about how to get that first version of our video output better. So they have to do less editing post V1. And that's so important to really ask, what are you really trying to do? You know, what would be a big win for you? What are you trying to accomplish and, and really get down below the surface level request? And, and figure out what are they, they trying to accomplish and then figure out, is that something that other people would want to do? You know, like adjusting yeah. the, the time on a video. I need it to fit into this, this window. Well, that makes sense. Well, that's something that we could do. Is a slider the right thing? Maybe. But is there a way that we could deliver that that would be universal, that would solve that problem for everybody, but not just, you know, taken to the surface level of we need a slider. Yeah. Because you, you, you exactly. ask the dev team, they're like, cool, slider, done. Mm-hmm. But we've completely missed the point. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also try to be, it's, it's a very simple question, maybe a little too direct, but I always just ask people, what are your goals for this year? What are your KPIs? How can I make you successful? And I don't do that to box us into specific metrics because not, not everyone even knows what metrics they should be trying to achieve. I think you can spend, we would do that at Google. We would spend weeks of planning our OKRs uh, or objective key results, then realize, oh gosh, you know, we're halfway through the quarter. Those don't even matter. So I'm not saying KPIs <laughs> yeah. or OKRs are always the right way to go, but at least it gets people thinking those are the high level aspirations. How can Videofy or your SaaS help them at least achieve goals that make sense? It's not just here is a solution. I'm, I'm, I, I try to resist always solving a problem, but it's what are their goals and how do we help them achieve that? That's really good. I think a lot of times we'll, sometimes we'll get those in the sales process of here's the problem I'm trying to solve. And we're like, cool, buy our stuff. And then we never talk about it again. We don't measure it. We don't go back and ask them, how did you do on that? But that's so important to get. And if that's the problem we're trying to solve, or that's the metric we're all working toward, it's really important to be able to measure that and go back and say, hey, how's that going? I think you'd probably shock customers. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you went back and asked them, you know, if, have we helped you solve this problem? You might. Absolutely. You know, it could be something, you know, you could be really surprised at that. Then maybe it's views. Maybe it is, you know, brand recognition. It could be, you know, any number of goals with video. But thinking about, you know, what, what are those goals? And those are, would be different for different brands. So it's not, Definitely. you know, views, I think are probably more a vanity metric than anything else. But is, is it engagement? Is it, you know, brand recognition? Is it, you know, purchases? Is it click-throughs? You know, what is, what is the goal? What are we trying to accomplish here? Absolutely. And that's why I think content helps in so many steps along the conversion funnel. Are you using, are you the brand? Are you using content for brand awareness, top of the funnel? Or are you using it actually for engagement and increasing your conversion rate um, to ultimately drive to sales? Where is that end destination? Do you need a very prominent CTA because all you care about is that big buy button. Whatever it is, content I do believe is king. It'll help you achieve whatever goal it is, but you need to understand where along the funnel you are really optimizing your content for. And I love these conversations because it really is no one size fits all model. But once customers have identified that, the ability to create videos to achieve that goal is very, very quick, very seamless with Videofy. Love that. Well, where can people learn more about you and about Videofy online? 
You can follow us on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to also reach us. Uh, we take a dose of our own medicine. We try to use VideoFi to actually create the videos that we put out on uh, social media. So LinkedIn is probably the most active channel. We do have a Twitter as well as an Instagram. Uh, but I would say for potential clients, business updates, LinkedIn is the place to go. That's great. And, and that's really cool too, because then we can go on LinkedIn, look at your channel, actually see what the output looks like. Absolutely. See we the are tool our in action. own best guinea pigs. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Stacy. Thanks for being on SAS Fuel. I did too. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jeff. Thanks again, Stacey, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and founder journey. Now, I encourage all of you to check out videofi.ai. I got it for my team to try, and now they won't let it go. It is an outstanding tool. So just hit the link in the show notes where all the links, highlights, resources, they're there, sasfuel.com, and it's videofi.ai. So please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening and tell a friend. Remember, full video versions of the podcast are available on YouTube. And everyone who subscribes this week gets a Mingle Mentor. It's an AI-based robotic parrot that sits on your shoulder and whispers icebreakers, one-liners, and witty comebacks. Guaranteed to make you engaging at any party. And I could have used that in junior high and high school and maybe college. And I don't know, maybe even now. Join us Thursday on our SAS Fuel Expert Series. We have Leon Barnard, who leads a design education team at Balsamic. He is the author of Wireframing for Everyone. We'll be talking about modern UX design and how to successfully transfer ideas from your head to production lightning fast and get functional and tech teams on the same page. <laughs> that is a, a dream for us all. And then next Tuesday, we have founder Thomas Knoll. After working at a bunch of startups, he built five of his own, two exits, and a few failures and thousands of lessons learned. You won't want to miss Thomas. So I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.